Hey everyone, it's Deb here. Welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable. Comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Uncomfortable. My guest for this episode is Peggy Liu. Peggy and I discuss how trauma can affect intimacy in relationships. Firstly, let me tell you a little bit about Peggy. She is a writer, storyteller, self-proclaimed bibliophile and a mediocre advice giver. I do love her honesty. When Peggy isn't digging her way to the bottom of a peanut butter jar or walking around Vancouver with her camera, she's analysing and over-analysing relationship dynamics, cognitive and behavioural patterns, as well as her own life choices. Peggy recently completed her undergrad in English Literature at the University of British Columbia, where she was also a mental health columnist for the student newspaper, the UBC. You can actually find her Mind Your Mind articles on the UBC's blog and she's currently working on her first book which she says will be finished when she can stop overthinking her own ideas. I really hope that you enjoy our conversation but do note, as always, there will be some adult language so when you're listening, it's best to pop on those headphones. you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks Debbie for having me. Oh you're welcome. I'm excited to have you. We chatted a few weeks back about the topic that you kind of wanted to explore a little bit and um, so I just wanted maybe to start with you kind of giving a little bit of background um, on yourself and then you know why this topic is perhaps important to you. Yeah, so I grew up in this area and uh, went to school in Vancouver. I attended UBC for the past uh, five years where I majored in English literature. I've grown up with a huge passion for books all my life, and that's where I decided to become a writer. And it was through that experience that I started blogging and writing a little bit more about mental health. Mm -hmm. Because just through my university experience, I started noticing a trend among uh, coworkers and uh, friends about how their mental health has been affecting their relationships mm-hmm. and their personal lives and how they perform in the classroom. And so it led me to pursue this topic a little bit more and question my own Um, areas of mental health and my own relationships with Mm -hmm. my friends and my family. 
Awesome. So is there, tell us about like a specific or is there a specific experience um, that kind of happened to you, whether it was in childhood, childhood or even, you know, teenage years or college that kind of affects your relationships now that you can, as a writer and as someone who's explored this world a little mm. bit more, you can kind of look back and say, oh, okay, this is why I react this way is mm. because of this particular thing that happened. Yes. So it was largely due to my romantic relationships mm-hmm. and the conflict that came out of that that made me realize, oh, this is a thing that has been going on and repeating throughout my life, but I wasn't consciously aware of that. And so through just sort of, you know, dating in university, it's kind of a thing everybody does. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's something that a lot of people were interested in talking about very openly. And so that kind of allowed me to be more open about my own experience with um, relationships and the different conflicts that come up, especially Mm -hmm. around this topic of intimacy. Mm. I noticed that there was a large um, spectrum in the way people defined their capacity for intimacy Mm. and their different approaches to it. And so that led me to question my own capacity for mm-hmm. intimacy and relationships and how that affects the conflicts or lack of conflicts that may arise in my relationships. Awesome. Did you find people in, like, especially university age, college age, were pretty open to talking about fairly intimate experiences? Or at that point, do you feel like people were still a little closed up? In my experience, most people were fairly open Mm -hmm. about talking um, about their relationship experiences but maybe that was because of the people I was hanging out with Mm -hmm. I for a long time in university I was working part-time as a barista okay and so it was largely a crowd of people who were very extroverted very talkative they loved getting to know people and um, like sometimes I would have friends where they would just spill their life stories to a random customer (laughs) and they're like I want my morning coffee and then my friend would be like oh how are you like over the weekend I went on this blind date and like blah 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 (laughs) and like they're very candid and very open about these things and so that helped me become more comfortable talking about this very sensitive topic I feel yeah yeah that's that's very cool that they would (laughs) be open to talking a bit yeah you know their life to a complete stranger but it's great how that also kind of then affected you did you find um growing up that you were not someone who would often be open about talking you know about like romance intimacy or anything like that with your Mm -hmm. family or even friends at a young age yes I found that my entire approach to speaking openly about this subject went from a 180 like I was I was very afraid about talking um, on the subject of feelings mm. and very sensitive matters with my family for pretty much all my life until I started attending UBC. Mm-hmm. And when I met my circle of friends, I started feeling more comfortable. Like I felt mm. like it was a safe space to be able to open up and talk about these issues. Yeah. Whereas growing up, it was kind of this unsaid um, agreement where if you talk about your feelings, 
people are going to be uncomfortable and you don't want to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my whole job right now is to make people feel uncomfortable, but <laughs> it's interesting how I feel like I had a similar experience to you, mm-hmm. um, whereas, you know, when I was younger, that generally wasn't the case, and it was the mm-hmm. same thing. You don't talk about your feelings to people. You don't cry in front of people because yeah. you don't want them to feel kind of uncomfortable or like they don't know what to do or yeah, they're not like, going to like you or something. Should I hug you? Like, should I do something to make you feel better? <laughs> right? Like, I feel like there's this sense of responsibility to Mm -hmm. someone's, um, like, showing of their emotions. But that's not really how it should go. Like, you're definitely responsible for holding space for that person, like, Mm -hmm. creating a safe space to allow them to express themselves in this way. But you don't necessarily have to take responsibility for how they, um, like, pour out their feelings. Because that's that's their responsibility yeah and you don't even need to have the answers Mm -hmm. they're not often looking for you to solve their problem they just want someone to listen and kind of hold that space exactly as you know you said did you come from a family that were fairly traditional I'm assuming then in the sense of you know yeah feelings just weren't talked about they were kind of swept under the rug Mm -hmm. yeah and how did how did that evolve I because I feel like I'm similar situation my family are great obviously I feel like I can talk to them about anything now but when I was younger I never felt that way um and that was just how they had learned you know no judgment on them that's how Mm -hmm. they had learned to kind of deal with things um so I'm curious to know you know going to university you started to feel more open and then how was the process of then feeling like could you go back to your family at that point and start to have a more open conversation how was that dynamic it was interesting because I can relate with that family dynamic where things are a little bit more traditional like Mm -hmm. you generally don't talk about your feelings but I think through my experience in the humanities area at UBC like it's encouraged to talk about Uh, difficult subject matters Mm -hmm. and so through that experience as well as through my personal life like hanging out with friends and dating I learned to become more comfortable talking about the more uncomfortable and sensitive matters yeah and so gaining that kind of courage and that sort of um, willingness to open up I started to to slowly try and bring that into the family dynamic. Mm. But it was surprisingly met with a lot of conflict. Oh, maybe not surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it was um, just a clash of opposing perspectives. Mm. My family has often held this space where um, the uncomfortable, the grittier subject matters are sort of reserved for like closed doors and like mm. private conversations. Yeah. And then there was me coming in with all these new ideas <laughs> and this fresh perspective, <laughs> um, you know, just out of university and bringing that kind of um, that kind of perspective into this already pre-existing mm. dynamic at home. It didn't mesh well, and mm. I think there was a certain sense of not not discomfort but almost fear like why are you prompting me to open up when I don't want to and I could see that kind of reaction from my parents especially and 
I don't blame them because, mm-hmm. like you said, I think it was just the way that they were brought up in their own family mm-hmm. dynamics. Like, this is how they learn to hold in their emotions yeah. and to not feel safe expressing themselves that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. You definitely don't blame them, but it's, it's mm-hmm. all kind of learned behavior, and they yeah. were just doing what they thought was right yeah. as parents. And, yeah, that's really interesting. Now, I'm curious to kind of let's take it to kind of more intimate relationships mm-hmm. um, and having, you know, been brought up in, again, the more traditional sense where, you know, you don't generally talk about feelings. Um, you did, however, go through a journey of where you learned to talk a little bit more right. about it but did you still struggle when it came to you know finding a partner and having an intimate relationship because then that's a whole different thing yeah. right than just talking openly to your friends so how you know how did you approach that for myself I I kind of went in with this mentality where um, I'm just gonna lay it all honestly on the table because mm-hmm. Um, that's something I really craved in a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. I crave that honest, open communication where I can kind of just lay my wounds out on the table mm-hmm. and have someone see that and be like, yeah, I, I understand. I see that and I'm okay with it. Like, yeah. I, it doesn't scare me. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. And so I went in with that mentality where I would just kind of talk openly about whatever Mm -hmm. came to mind even if um it's very personal and it's not necessarily something you might bring up um but I kind of just wanted to cut the bullshit you know like just figure out like who's in this for the real deal and just like filter it out (laughs) like if I scare them then they're not the right person yeah almost yeah Yeah. it was definitely um like a confidence building exercise Mm -hmm. um at first um when people would be put off by that kind of um like dating mentality I was crushed I was like is there something wrong with me? Am I mm-hmm. too emotionally needy? Am I too real? Am I too honest? And I began questioning myself. Mm-hmm. And so it's definitely been like a ground up kind of experience, yeah. but so much more rewarding. Like you literally cut through a lot of layers of bullshit just by yeah. being honest about your past experiences whether they were great or not Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I dated in this city for a while and I yeah totally get it (laughs) especially for someone like me who's you know hitting the other side of or is in the other side of 30 and doesn't have kids yet and really Mm -hmm. wants children having that was a hard conversation to have with people when Mm -hmm. I was dating them because I didn't want to spend five like bring it up after five months to a year and for that person to turn around and say no well I don't want to have kids so it was like something I kind of had to bring up at the beginning and some people were like whoa she's you know (laughs) one of these batshit crazy chicks who just wants to get pregnant it's like well no I want to find the right person but it's a deal breaker for Mm -hmm. me man like that's just yeah. You, the thing about intimacy is that you have to learn to be upfront about mm-hmm. what you need. Yeah. And I came to realize that those needs can vary hugely from person to person. Like mm-hmm. I went in with this mentality where I wanted 
like basically a romantic best friend yeah. you know like not just someone to date to yeah. go hang out and like you know have nice dinners and watch movies with like I wanted um like a soulmate mm -hmm. and I was ready for that kind of um intimate relationship with another human being but not everybody wants that or mm. is emotionally capable of yeah. that and that brings up this whole other issue of um like unhealed childhood trauma and mm -hmm. past wounds that have been neglected or yeah. just avoided yeah you never i mean yeah there's probably those guys who reacted to me in that way like crazy lady but i don't know what's going on in their world mm -hmm. for them to kind of feel like well that's not something i want so mm -hmm. it's almost respecting the other person's beliefs and wishes yeah. too even though you're maybe devastated because you really liked them and you thought mm -hmm. that was the one there's always this or could be this underlying trauma that's happened that that person either hasn't dealt with or is attempt trying to deal with but isn't quite ready mm -hmm. to talk about have you found in relationships that um trauma you've kind of maybe experienced in the past has kind of held you back from sharing feelings and emotions with partners or if not for you for a per partner sharing with you um i think there has been several times um just a lot of unhealed um like self-confidence mm -hmm. issues mm -hmm. because i've had uh, really crappy dates and awful experiences with um, men either taking advantage of me and um, sort of just manipulating my um, my ability to be honest and vulnerable yeah. and so sometimes that has held me back from being as open as I would like to be mm. and fully sharing myself with um, whichever person I'm dating at the moment yeah. so I think it's it varies from person to person because sometimes you can have that level of trust with someone you've never met mm -hmm. other times it's like I can see the mental wall you're building up between yeah. you and me right now <laughs> and I I don't really want to break it down like mm -hmm. I don't want to spend that energy um, like opening myself up to being vulnerable and sharing myself when yeah. it's obvious that you can't reciprocate and then I would feel like right from the get-go it's kind of a waste of my emotional energy because I only have yes. so much yes <laughs> I love that it's so true I mean even with current partners that maybe you do think is the one or, or you love, you have to be very mindful for your own well-being. If they mm -hmm. are going through something, you obviously want to be there for them. Mm -hmm. But you've also got to take note of your own emotional yes. well-being. Yes. And uh, that's pretty huge to kind of come to that, you know, realization. Yeah, it took me pretty much... Uh, all 23 years of my life so far yeah. to like <laughs> to to, to really learn that and yeah. not just learn that but honor it 
you know, yeah, because... Can I just say you're lucky yeah. that you figured that out <laughs> at 23, like, I'm 36, and I feel like I only just <laughs> realized that. It's, I think it's, obviously, it's different for every person based on their experiences yeah. Yeah. dating, but also, I think it comes with the people that um, you surround yourself with, because mm-hmm. some people mm-hmm. are really good at pointing that out for you, mm-hmm. and so... Um, I've thankfully been careful with the friends I choose. I, um, I wanted the friends who would be honest with me, even when it hurt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, just learning that ability to honor your emotional needs is heartbreaking sometimes because for people who are a little bit more... Um, mindful and just you know who have so much love to share you mm-hmm. want to be able to be there for your partner that person yeah. you love and it's not it's not necessarily a burden to give some of yourself up and to be like I can hold this for you right now I can hold your pain I can yeah. hold your your fear but there is a limit and I think mm-hmm. learning that limit is is part of the heartbreak yeah, definitely. I um, recently just uh, did an episode on body positivity and Caroline, who was speaking to that, had said, you know, self-care, right? It all comes back to when you're on the airplane and the oxygen mask comes down and it says, put your mask on mm-hmm. first before you you put someone else's on because otherwise if you pass out how can you be there for someone if you have no energy left Mm -hmm. how can you be there for someone else yeah and it's it's kind of this idea of if everybody is trying to be there for everybody else we're all kind of just like emotionally mentally incapacitated because we're not taking care of ourselves and so there's no real foundation you know, to like yeah. have to build that kind of community of um, taking care of each other. Yeah. Now, what do you do to take care of yourself? And like, especially in a space where there's you're in a relationship with someone who maybe does need more mm-hmm. emotional support. Mm-hmm. How do you look after yourself? Um, for me, I've mostly spent time creating. Mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit. Um, uh, counter, well, maybe not counterintuitive, that's not the right word, but it's like expending energy into making something mm. that, some, that is somehow reciprocal and it gives yeah. me something back. Like it gives me this sense of um, accomplishment and satisfaction, this, this pride in having created something when there wasn't something there originally. Yeah like hey I I did a thing and it's there now and it's there for other people to appreciate and to learn from and it can be in the form of painting or Mm -hmm. writing has been a huge 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 um, way for me to process Mm. a lot of my uh, experiences do you find just kind of journaling I mean lots of people say at the end of the day you know just kind of pour it all out onto a page mm-hmm. and that or kind of writing something more structured maybe for a blog or for publication what works best for you it really depends uh in the past few months i've felt uh not quite up to writing structurally yet mm-hmm. uh the past few months have been 
pretty difficult for me. Mm. And so the most I was capable of was journaling. And it's, it's neat, though, because once you reach a certain point in your healing, you realize all of this messy journaling and all these, like, unstructured idea is really the foundation in which you can build a more coherent narrative around yeah and that's uh that's when you can start writing proper blogs proper Mm -hmm. stories um and so it's it's all part of the big picture I feel yeah yeah no that's it's very true and I mean I've even heard of writers who are like novelists just saying they just get up at the same time every morning or, or night and they just write and maybe 50 words of that or mm-hmm. like one page ends up yeah. being in the novel for the rest. Yeah. It's like it's like you just need to kind of get all the crap out first. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. <laughs> It's just like, bleh, just kind mm-hmm. of like vomit it all out yeah. onto the page. But in there could be something just like perfect. It could be healing or mm-hmm. it could be perfect for the next whatever it is that you actually want to yeah. to write or publish. So we digress a little bit into writing, but it's that's awesome. Let's come back to kind of um, the intimacy factor and having those conversations with your partner that, you know, you kind of want to express a feeling or an emotion or something that you're struggling with or something that you want, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that's sexually or just in the relationship in general, but you're struggling to kind of communicate that. What kind of um, or or how do you manage those conversations when they when they have to come up Mm -hmm. in my experience it's uh it's been a little bit difficult because i i realized that my ability to hold uh intimacy in relationships has largely been bigger than my partners mm-hmm. and so this creates a really weird dynamic of this sort of like um i'm grasping for more intimacy mm-hmm. and like trying to express my my needs for, for, um, you know, affection or Mm -hmm. my views concerning a specific matter. And like, I'm grasping for like that conversation. And then in return, my partner would kind of pull away Mm. because they're, they're, they're afraid of opening up and that kind of intimacy. And so kind of like sharing these things haven't, been uh the smoothest process in the past for me and I'm still trying to learn that Mm -hmm. um and just trying to figure out what is their limit you know Mm. what is their limit for having these conversations for talking about intimacy and talking about what they need because I've learned that the more you push someone to tell you what they need the less likely they're gonna tell you (laughs) yeah yeah it's like they need to also be ready Mm -hmm. at that point to kind of talk like have you ever been able to kind of sense when the your partner's been ready for that more kind of intimate Mm -hmm. conversation or is that something that you're still kind of playing around with trying to figure out the right time uh the right time I feel I don't I I have really mixed um views on this concept of the right time because I feel like there's always going to be something. Yeah. There's always, life is always <laughs> going to give you something. So is there, like there can be an appropriate time, yeah. but is there a right time? And I think sometimes you have to set aside um, this notion of there not being a right time to have a conversation. Because if you feel like you need mm. to have that conversation, 
that indicates that you know you need to have a conversation so it's probably the right time um but finding the appropriate time when maybe your partner is less tired and less Mm. grumpy and um that is something that you have to kind of just intuitively feel out and maybe Mm -hmm. just ask yeah you know or would you ever i remember having a a coach and I wanted to have a particular conversation you know with a client about I think it was about boundaries or something at the time and um, she kind of guided me through how to have this conversation and she actually advised that I kind of advised them that I wanted to talk to them Mm -hmm. at this particular time and Mm -hmm. kind of like almost get them prepared for the fact that I was likely going to have a conversation that needed a bit more you know focus and and it wasn't really going to be just about the tasks that Mm -hmm. I'm doing it was Mm -hmm. going to be about maybe a boundary or something more uncomfortable would you ever like think of giving them like a heads up yes that is something I've tried to do in the past just sort of let them have the time to like digest this like Mm -hmm. emotionally prepare for this and also make sure that you set a time and a place where you're talking face to face. Yes. <laughs> I've had um conversations through text with um my previous partner where we where I tell him, Hey, I would like to tell you about something and he's like, No no no, I can't wait. Like I have to know right now what you're talking about. <laughs> but he's not physically here, so yeah. we end up texting. And that's where a lot of things get lost in communication Definitely. just over text. Yes. So that's a big no no. Don't do what I did. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was having a conversation with a girlfriend about texting and relationships and how it's just like pick up the phone or <laughs> arrange to see the person yeah. because there's just texting an email. You you don't really know that person's like how they, they feel, their mental, yeah. emotional state yeah. at the time when they write that. They could write something that sounds either really funny, really sarcastic, or really horrible, and it'd be the <laughs> same line, like the same wording. Yeah. And it just kind of, you have to try and pick up on what their mood was when they mm-hmm. kind of said that. So I feel like texting should be banned in relationships. <laughs> I think so too. It's so easy to just jump to conclusions based mm-hmm. on your own fears. Yes, yeah. and it kind of comes back to fears yeah. and trauma again, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, and things that have happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so like in terms of like things that have happened in the past to you, whether they're like really traumatic or just things that you realize kind of happened when you were young that still generally have an effect on you, um, you're looking back now and hopefully mm-hmm. overcoming those things. Is there any kind of resources that you would offer to people who also want to kind of change their perspective and look back at those things that kind of they struggled with, but now, you know, they want to be able to, to deal with them? Yes. So I found that uh, the most obvious resource is to seek counselling. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking to someone who's in that position of authority and, um, you know, knowledge mm-hmm. can give you a better understanding of where you personally are in terms of uh, unhealed trauma and um, just sort of where you are on the line of or um, sort of on your own like journey of mm-hmm. emotional growth and healing. Um, and I found that reading on it can really help. And um, when I realized that uh, my own capacity for intimacy and um, my ways of coping with unhealed trauma has been sort of like characterized as this like anxious 
attachment type. Mm. And that like opened like a whole new perspective for me. And I yeah. read this book by Amir Levine, Levine um, on attachment theory. Ah. And sort of having these books as my resource gave me the um, ability to pace my own uh, um, sort of journey to seek this knowledge. Okay. Yeah. And it was helpful that my counselor suggested several books for me. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll be sure to kind of note that one yes. in the, the show notes. I haven't heard of it before. And it's kind of interesting how you came to that, you know, conclusion of that kind of like anxious attachment. Mm-hmm. Like, who did you <laughs> feel? And you're like, oh, shit, oh. is that what I do? <laughs> and then, yeah. And then how did you kind of change, like work to change that? Um, so the first thing I did was uh, through experiencing a lot of conflict in my previous relationship I started googling mm-hmm. myself and that could be the best or worst possible thing to do in that, <laughs> that, that, that scenario <laughs> yeah but then the more you read on it the more you start to resonate with some of the um articles and the things you read and I realized I do all of that and this mm-hmm. is maybe what I am so when I when I saw the words anxious attachment type mm-hmm. I was like yeah. Anxious? <laughs> Am I that, like, crazy lady, like, you know, that's on a lot of these television shows and movies, it's, like, where she'll, like, call her boyfriend, like, 20 times a day and, like, ask, yeah. where were you today? Like, am I that person? And there was a sense of shame mm-hmm. that I felt. But then there was also this this feeling of relief. Like, I've identified the problem. Yeah. And now... I can do something about it. Yeah. I can seek help. I that's when I started um, seeing my counselor. Okay. And so it's it creates a lot of different conflicting emotions, but I think that is the first step to fixing the problem and beginning mm-hmm. healing a lot of these past traumas and um, like childhood traumas even. Yeah. So it's it's a whole difficult convoluted process but you realize so much about yourself and I know that sounds completely cliche (laughs) (laughs) but but it's true Yeah, yeah I mean like just from someone who also you know kind of fights on and off with anxiety I kind of get it like that and I can totally see how I was probably similar especially like late teen like mid to late teens at that point in my life um, and then, yeah, no, I look back and I'm like, dear God, like, that's what I was like. Like, I hope I'm yeah. not like that anymore because yeah. I can't stand clinginess. Like, people mm-hmm. who are super, super clingy kind mm-hmm. of like, that's too much for me. I can't either. But, so it's weird that, like, I would end up exhibiting this kind of behavior. Exactly. <laughs> right? It's very interesting yeah. that, uh, that I did that too when I yeah. was young. And I've kind of learned to kind of move away from and not be that person. And again, it's been just through a whole process of watching my behaviors and Mm -hmm. just recently signing up for for therapy and you know I did yoga teacher training so you kind of learn a lot about yourself through those types of trainings as well which is amazing but the fact that you're you're what still early 20s and you're discovering this is is pretty phenomenal because it takes some people a long time right Mm -hmm. again depending on on their journey um yeah so this has been eye-opening and amazing for me. Any last <laughs> thoughts? Anything else you want to share before we wrap up? 
Yeah, I I think I would just like to say that um, this kind of experience of meeting uh, partners in mm-hmm. you know dating and even friendships it's gonna come up and it's yeah. you're going to realize your own capacity for holding space for another person and if that makes you feel uncomfortable and you feel ashamed of your behaviors in past relationships and friendships even with your family mm-hmm. know that there is a huge difference between feeling ashamed and feeling guilty for how mm. you've acted mm-hmm. because feeling guilty means that you can take responsibility and you can learn to slowly you know shift your perspective and change your behavior but yeah. feeling ashamed that's when you feel like oh my god i've done all of this horrible clingy avoidance stuff that means there's something wrong with me but I think I what I would want people to know is that there is not anything wrong with you. Yeah. You've just been kind of shaped by um, your childhood, your environment, mm. your experiences with pain and fear. And that's that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. And yeah. it's okay. Yeah, and it's okay to kind of explore those things and start to kind of learn and move forward, right? Yeah, kind of just approach it with a very open and um, non-judgmental mindset. Like, Mm -hmm. don't judge yourself for it. It happened. But you have the ability to fix it. Yeah. 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 No, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Peggy. This (laughs) has been great. Take care, and we'll Mm -hmm. make sure to post everything in the show notes um, links to you had said you had some other resources yep, books so all that yes so we'll post those so that other people can share so thank you okay great thank you thank you hey everyone thanks so much for tuning into the episode if you are someone who struggles with past trauma mental health issues or just struggles in general then firstly, I appreciate the fact that you're tuning into these conversations. But please also note that there is help out there. You can head to our show notes where we've listed some great resources. If you want to connect with Peggy, then head over to her blog, which I've again posted a link to in the show notes, along with some links to her Mind Your Mind articles. If you enjoyed our conversation, then feel free to let us know in the comments section over on our website, uncomfortable.blog, or on any of our social media channels. We're on Facebook and Instagram at uncomfortable.blog and Twitter at uncomfy underscore podcast. You can even support our little podcast by signing up to be a patron and pledging a small $5 per month so that we can keep on running. For more information, you can visit uncomfortable.blog forward slash donate. Thanks again for listening. Now go out there and get uncomfortable.